in the midst of my teenage years, um, I was, we were over at a friend's house and it began to rain and um, uh, several of us teenage boys, we had scooters, not exactly like these, but something similar, best I could find. Um, and as it began to rain, we jumped on our scooters and took off out of the driveway. It was kind of like we made like a big like circle or half circle there and trying to get out. And man, I hit that thing wide open. And as I was turning that bad boy, it, it just slid out right underneath me and, and messed my knee up a little bit. And so I rode home, wasn't far home. And it was pouring down by the time I got there. And my dad had already raised the garage door, expecting me home. And I, I try to ride in and kind of put the scooter over to the side. And I'm kind of limping. And dad looks at me and he's like, did you have a wreck? And I was like, well, what makes you think that, right? The blood coming possibly down my leg and, and the, the scratches on the sky of the scooter couldn't see. And so uh, my response is probably what you think it was. I was like, no, why? And um, and so he kind of comes a little closer, looks around at the scooter. He's like, we had those scratches this morning when you left, right? And I was like, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're seeing. Maybe somebody else. I'm not sure, <laughs> right? But it wasn't me. Um, and so a little bit later, it just continued raining that day. And one of my buddies walks in, I'll never forget it, man. He walks in the house and he says this, hey, Kimball, did Blake tell you about wrecking his scooter? And I was like, hey, dad, did I tell you he's not my friend anymore because he's a big liar? Right. And so there was just kind of this moment in which I was busted. Right. My dad knew. Right. It was obvious that I, I'd, I'd wrecked the scooter. Um, but it was kind of that moment when somebody who had been present kind of just busted me out. And today I want to maybe just bring this topic to you, like maybe one thing that will make you honest. Kind of just set that topic to you today. One thing that will make you honest. And often, listen, it, let's be honest about it. Um, we often believe that God's like distant and far away. And maybe you feel that way in the midst of this coronavirus that you just think, man, where is God? Why isn't he doing something? Um, but sometimes we're just, we're fooled into believing that God's like often far away. And it's only like certain moments that he shows up and he's near us and close to us. Like, for example, like maybe you're like guilty of just saying like, oh, we're like, don't, don't say that or don't do that because we're in the church, right? This is God's house. And uh, I understand maybe what you're saying behind that. But the reality is like, it's like outside, not God's. Is your house not God's? Right? Like, I mean, we're playing men's basketball in our, our men's league over here. Sometimes there's like uh, guys just kind of maybe like say like, hey, man, don't be lying. It's in the church. And I just maybe ask something similar. Like, dude, it's it's no less the church. Like, it's no less like God's place than it is when we're at the park or when we're at some other gym playing. Like, God is everywhere. And listen, I mean, I think we just sometimes we believe that, that God is only present at certain times. And that means only certain times I have to like really be honest because like I'm in God's house or like we have to really do this because it's in the church. And others of us like, listen, we come and it's like, okay to let God handle certain things. But like when things happen to us, specifically, like maybe somebody does us wrong, like we feel like vengeful, like, hey, God can handle this stuff. But man, I got to make that person pay. I got to let them know that they have done me wrong. I'm going to teach them a lesson. Maybe they'll never forget. And listen, I want to let us know that both of those aren't really reality. And it's because of this. God is always present. And therefore, maybe to set this big idea for you today, kingdom people have integrity because of God's continual presence. Kingdom people have integrity because of God's continual presence. Today we're going to look at a major issue for God's people, and it's that word integrity. And you may have heard it said, but integrity is, is it's who you are when nobody's looking. It's, it's your true character, right? When nobody else is present, it's what you do, it's what you act upon in those moments, right? And today we're about the reality is, is this, God's always looking. God's always present. 
And for some of us, that may terrify us, but I hope today, and you may feel trapped by that very fact that God's always present, I want to let you know that it actually brings freedom for God's kingdom people. So let's look at it here, starting out of the gate this morning. The principle of integrity and why we often get it wrong. So what's the principle of integrity and why do we often get it wrong? Continuing our study here in the book of Matthew, we pick up in verse 33 of Matthew 5. Again, he says, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. All right, so this is again about swearing falsely, that it's possible to do this. And what's Jesus even talking about? Again, he said that statement, you've heard said to those of old. Well, Jesus is looking back to the Old Testament, right? The third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, says that we are not to take the Lord's name in vain. And so that may mean an oath or, or, or maybe a way in which you swear and, and you take lightly what you're saying. Or maybe you've used it as part of cursing or misusing, not bringing the glory that's due to God's name. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, we hear these words. If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. Right? What's happening? Well, once God's name is invoked, the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord, the name of God, the vow now, in, it now brings upon it an attachment of a debt. Like we now owe God because we've said it, right? We are now called to pay that due to the Lord. And as the Old Testament says it, it's better not to vow than to vow and not keep it. Why? Because of the sense in which what we're saying, we're attaching God's worth to this. So what's the statement there again? You shall not swear falsely. What's that mean? Look what Jesus says. You shall not swear falsely, but, all right, he kind of tells us what that means. You shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So it's the performance, right? So swearing falsely would not be doing what you said you would do. Jesus is clearly here speaking to us about integrity, about our character, about being men and women of our word. Listen now, Jesus further describes it here. Beginning next verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, so heaven, or by the earth, for it's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. When people would make promises or vow, they would swear by something. And so the more serious the oath, the more serious the lie. And so listen, what's kind of happening is the closer you came to God's name or the center of the temple, then it would seem to be like you're being more serious now. Like you're really getting after it. Like he really means it. She really means it. But the problem with all of this, as you've been seeing as we walk through Matthew 5, is, is that The religious people had found a way to do these things outwardly, but skirt around them inwardly. It's the same with our oaths and integrity. Listen, they like to swear, but the reality is they could swear by heaven or earth or even Jerusalem, and it wasn't considered binding. They considered that the only time it was actually binding is you swore toward Jerusalem, right? Like there's like these little nuances and ways that you would say it's almost like this magical formula or magical charm of do this or don't swear this way or that way. And if you do this, then you got like a get out of jail free card. Why? Because the temple was where God's name dwelled. So when you swore by his name or his temple, then you were invoking the presence of God. That's what made it become so serious. But listen, that's the heart of it. Is these guys felt like they could swear as long as it wasn't toward God, his name or the temple, this location and place. They thought they were good. Why? Because they were treating God like he's not actually present everywhere. Right? Like, I mean, they're fooled into believing that, guess what? Jesus says here, listen, guys, don't forget, God has heaven. That's his. That's the throne of God. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem's the city of the great king. Like, dude, listen, God's got it all. I mean, like, 
you're acting like that, that he doesn't own it all. And, and so some of you, listen, it's the same way. Like you, you might just say whatever, like you don't, you're not really honest about this. You don't really mean it. But like there comes moments like when you really mean it. Like if you remember back like when you're a kid, you're like, I swear on my mother's grave, right? Like, and then they're like, everybody's like, oh, now he means it, right? Like when we swear on our mother's grave, some of you are like that, right? I mean, it doesn't become serious until like you have to say something really drastic. And that's what Jesus is after. He's after your heart. I mean, constantly in this, there's just like this need of, guess what? The reality, guys, doesn't matter where you think you say it or do it. The truth is every word that we say, and we're going to get to it in Matthew, God says he's going to hold us to account for every idle word that we have spoken. The truth is every word that you and I speak is in the presence of God and it's toward God. Why? Because heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool, and even Jerusalem is the city of the great king. There's no escaping him. That's the reality of why God is calling us to such integrity. In fact, as verse 36 tells us, and don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make, look what he says here, even one hair white or black. He says, listen, I want you to know that God is sovereign and in control even over the hairs of your head. Some of you are trying to deal with that because you're wondering what you're going to do in the midst of the coronavirus because the salon's closed, the barbershop's closed, right? You're like wondering, is anybody going to actually know what true color my hair is, right? But that's not what Jesus is after here, right? Okay, so some of you like, rest, like, right like i mean you're worried but listen no he's saying i want you to know that god's even in control of your hair that's crazy and so he's saying guys i want you to be people of integrity people that are honest and truthful now listen we need to hit pause maybe just for a moment here right because we need to ask the question right of what jesus is saying here so when he says do not take an oath at all what exactly does he mean and, and some religious groups right say listen that means don't take a coat uh uh Sorry, don't take an oath at all, right? Even as you come maybe to a place like a courtroom. And so they wouldn't be comfortable even doing that. Uh, listen, I, I think that there may be, I at least have some hesitancy when I hear that line of thought because of this, because there's places in the Bible where there's oaths and covenants. In fact, God himself takes oaths. You read about it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. It's not because God lies, but God is doing this to help us believe. We're going to see today in Matthew 26 that Jesus himself takes an oath. You hear Paul in different places seemingly stay, taking oaths or, or making these statements, right? And so, again, I think the point is, what, what's after then if, if that's not the case, right? And maybe as you look back to last week, I mean, Jesus said if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. The truth is we're not looking around seeing lots of Christians that have been amputated, right? Amputated in different body parts because of their struggle with sin. So we realize that we always have to understand what is Jesus actually saying. And here's what I, I think it is, right? Again, it could be wrong. I think the point is that our word alone needs to be true enough and honest enough that people accept it. But there's always going to be situations when maybe you're called even into a courtroom like this to stand and swear. I think Jesus is trying to tell us, listen, if the only time like you get like really serious, like really truthful is when you have to go on the stand. The only time you get like really truthful is when your parents like call you, like sit down on the couch. You have to actually spill it. If you're only really truthful when you sit before the principal, like and they call you in, or the boss calls you in the office. If you're only really truthful when you swear on your granny's grave at whatever, like if that's the only moment you're truthful, Jesus says, listen, you're missing it. That's not integrity. God's with you everywhere. His presence is always there, right? The truth is kingdom people have integrity. Why? Because God's presence is always there. So listen, God's presence impacts not only our words, but integrity also impacts how we retaliate when done wrong. Listen to what Jesus says further in this passage, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye 
and a what? A tooth for a tooth. Right? Listen to Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, right? He says, turn to him the other also. The law, according to Leviticus 19 and 18, listen, that revenge was forbidden. And here's why. Listen to what's happening behind this eye for an eye statement, right? Tooth for a tooth, right? What's behind that? What's God putting in place for the judicial system of the nation, right? What type of formula of punishment might be? Like, how do you understand, like, this crime befits this punishment and this crime befits this type of punishment? God is trying to give some type of clarity. Why? He wants the government, right? He's placing the government in a position to protect the people. Otherwise, it's just the wild, wild west, right? Like, you do me wrong, I'll do you wrong. Right? You, you act like that? You say that about me? I'm going to say something about you. You, you press me in traffic? Oh, I can get tighter and closer, right? I mean, and some of you are there, right? you got a list right now. Maybe not like written down, but like in your mind and in your heart. Like you got a vendetta of people that have done you wrong. Some of it's like years ago. Some of it's like a former spouse that did you wrong that you just can't let go, that forgiveness. Like, I mean, some of you just feel like that bitterness and that resentment in your heart of like really hard seasons that have come in your life. And you're carrying that with you. Listen. I want us to see here, as Jesus says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Listen, God has placed the presence of God, listen, is is represented as we see the government, right? I mean, we we ask those things of how does God handle it, right? We wonder that sometimes. Like when it comes to us being done wrong, I think we often feel like, man, I don't know if God's actually going to do anything about it. But God's already put several things in place. I mean, consider this. The government is there to help bring judgment, right? Paul talks about that there in Romans 13. Thinking about it in your home. God's put moms and dads or other leadership in your home, right, to bring correction and discipline when things get off course. Think about it at school for you, for some of you, right? Your teacher's there in the classroom to bring discipline and order. And there's even administration beyond that to bring about some of these issues of when we step out of line. But the truth is, let's be honest, all of those have and all of those will get it wrong at times. That's just reality, right? Moms and dads, teachers, right? The government. The reality is they get it wrong. And listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, look what he says here to do. Turn to him the other also. You think about it, right? I mean, different places in the Old Testament, we talk about, like, God, let your face shine upon me, right? I mean, there's a face is in some sense, right, representing the relationship. And so when you think about it, that you've been slapped on the right cheek, right? That's happened to you. You've been slapped, right? I think maybe one of three options in order. One is, man, just pow, right back, right? I mean, it may not be physical, but it might be words, right? Again, there's some form of aggression, right? Like, you just get eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth immediately. Some of you are there, man, just bam, Others of you, right, you have a tendency to be a little bit more passive-aggressive. And so you act like you're all right, but the reality is, man, you stonewall, you don't talk, you pout, like, for days. But Jesus says, listen, guys, there's actually another option. And it's to turn the cheek. Right, I mean, it's to turn the cheek. And what he's saying is we're re-offering the relationship, but it's not based upon how you treated me in the past. I'm showing you grace and mercy. Right. This may or may have not happened this past week. 
It's possible that Emily and I got in an argument. I said some really stupid stuff, like big time jerk. Please forgive me. I love you. Right? Like, but I mean, like the reality is I, I, I totally derailed. I just lost my cool and just kind of, like, I just got upset on Friday of this past week with her in the midst of working on this very sermon. She's like, you need it, right? I'm like, you're right, sister. I do. But listen, the reality is some of you, you need to show that grace and that mercy to a spouse. Some of you need to show it to a co-worker. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a teacher at school. Right? Forgive that harsh word. Maybe that mean text. Right? It's calling God's people to forgive. Why? That's Paul talks in Ephesians 4 and 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Why did God in Christ forgive us? Totally and completely. And then he says in Ephesians 5, 1, the very next verse. Therefore. Be imitators of God. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Do you know why I lied to my dad about the scooter wreck? Because he wasn't actually present to see it. Even though my buddy ratted me out, right? But I'm not bitter about that. You can see. But anyway, listen, foolishly, I thought that since he wasn't physically present, I could lie and probably not get in trouble about it. And similar when it comes to this principle of integrity. We often believe that we can lie to someone else and not suffer the consequences because we think God's not present. I mean, we might swear on our mother's grave, we might swear to God, we might swear on the Bible, right? We might even swear about our, on our lucky psych, our lucky sock, like whatever to prove how much integrity we have. It reminds me a little bit of a story in the Old Testament. You probably heard it, it's the story of Joseph and his brothers. And listen, Joseph is, he's favored by the father. The father gets him this coat of many colors and, and it, Joseph even has these dreams. His brothers are going to bow down to him and, and kind of fast forward in the story. The brothers obviously don't like it and comes a time they sell Joseph. Actually, they get him in a trap and they sell him off into slavery. The story goes on that Joseph, God's present with Joseph, even in the prison and then in the pit or in the pit to the prison and then ultimately raises him to this platform. But the famine strikes the land and, and those Joseph brothers, finally their dad says, listen, you got to go to Egypt and get food. And they show up and there's this guy in power there. They don't know it. It's Joseph, right? I mean, he's speaking to them through a translator. And listen, this is the last guy they expect to see. They think either he's, he's dead or he's like some slave somewhere. There's no way. He's the second most powerful man in Egypt. And yet that's where God's raised him to. And we have this moment where Joseph says to them, right? He's just kind of feeling things out, seems like, from the text. He says to them, you guys are spies. And listen to what they answer. Genesis chapter 42, verse 11. He said, we are not spies. We are honest men. And as the reader of the text, you and I are like, liar, liar, pants on fire, right? Like, I mean, we know that's not true. Why? Because we've been present in the story. And so now we have to wonder, how will Joseph respond in this moment? And what Joseph does is he turns the other cheek and shows such unbelievable grace and mercy to them. Why? Because Joseph knows the God that was with him in the pit the God that was with him in the prison is now with him on that platform as well. And he has seen all and he knows that his God will make all things right. And so therefore, he can offer grace and mercy to these guys. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Some of you think that 
because of your church giving or because you're live streaming the service on a Sunday morning or your mission trips, that somehow you'll convince God that you are an honest man, that you are honest women. The truth is, listen, even as we're present, oftentimes maybe we sing a song like, He is here, holy, holy. But the truth is, we're not honest men and we're not honest women. And we're ruined in the presence of a holy God. But listen, imagine this. Imagine your life, right? You may be thinking that you're a pretty good guy, a pretty good girl, right? Imagine if somebody from the moment you were born till the day now, they've just followed you around everywhere you go, right? They're, they're with you recording the things that you said, the things you've done. The truth is, if they followed you for very long, they would find out you're not always an honest man. You're not always an honest woman. They'll see moments in which you've tried to get revenge and get even. Why? Because they're present. They've seen it. The truth is, guys, what you got to know is someone much greater than any other person's with you. It's God Almighty. He's been with you for the moment. Listen, when you were conceived in your mother's womb till right now, he sees all, knows all. No, he sees what you said and done outwardly. He sees inwardly. Listen, this is this brings us to a place to say we need a rescuer. We need Jesus. Someone rescue me from all these lies, all this revenge and hatred that is bubbling, bubbling in your and my heart. And here's the hope of the gospel, guys. It's this. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection alone satisfy God. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection alone satisfy God. That word satisfy, it's, it's an interesting word, right? It's an important word. In fact, it was the word in which the Rolling Stones in 1965 began to sing, I can't get no what? Satisfaction. Yeah, right? But we've got to ask, but can God? And listen, let's be honest. We all may swear or promise this or that, and we may say, I actually forgive you, but we, so to speak, got our fingers crossed behind our back, and we're not really forgiving I mean, outwardly, we may attempt to satisfy God, but like the stones, let's be honest. When it comes to us, God can't get no satisfaction out of sinners. That's the truth. That's a hard truth, a bitter truth. But there came one. There came one who did satisfy God. There came one who lived with perfect integrity. There came one who lived a sinless life, not seeking revenge, but entrusting all judgment to the Father. There came one who would be your rescuer. There came one who could free you today. There came one who would give his life on the cross for you. And his name, beloved, is Jesus Fast forward in the text of Matthew chapter 26. He's, Jesus is on trial here. All of his friends have scattered by this point. And he's brought before the most, the high priest, the most religious leader in that day for the Jewish people. Listen to what happens. Verse 63 of Matthew 26. Jesus is being accused of all these things. And it says that he remains silent. And the high priest says to him, I adjure you. Now the word adjure, like New King James, I think, maybe gets a good clarity on it, says, I charge you under oath. So Jesus is now coming under oath. The, the thing that kind of we're dealing with a little bit today, Jesus on trial saying, listen, I charge you under oath. Tell us, are you the son of God? Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus says to him, you have said so. But I tell you, and he cites the prophecy from Daniel. From now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Do you know the response to Jesus? 
the high priest tears his clothes and cries out, this is blasphemous. This is a man declaring to be God. And he says to the other religious leaders, what do you guys say? And they say, this is blasphemy. He deserves to die. And then verse 67 and 68 of Matthew 26 record that they begin to spit on him and people begin to smack him and they begin to mock him saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who was it that struck you? And we have to ask, why? Why are they doing this? And the reality is, Jesus, as a man of integrity, told the truth. He told the truth. He revealed his identity. And listen, it was, this is Jesus paying the price for telling the truth. And it's not just paying the truth in general, right? He's paying the price for Ultimately, beloved, you've got to understand that there's a, a moment in which Jesus comes as your substitute. That's his coming. That's him coming to deliver and save you. And so now when you see Jesus paying the price, he's paying the price for your dishonesty. For the lies that you told in second grade or when you were 25 or 64 or 82. He's paying the price for your dishonesty. Right, He's paying the price for all the times when we have sought revenge on a spouse or on a co-worker or a friend or a neighbor, a brother or sister. Beloved, we deserve the punishment for our lives and revenge taking because we are doing all of this in the presence of God. And yet here is Christ paying the price for telling, living and being the truth in our place. And yet we need to ask, why then are the most religious people Standing there and smacking and spitting and mocking him to die because of this. Deep down, they believe that they're actually a good person. They believe that they are honest men. And here's the hard part about the truth. When the truth comes at you, man, it can make you so defensive because it exposes who you are. Jesus talks about that in John 3. It says men and women won't come into light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed because they love darkness rather than light. This is a hard moment. But Jesus is showing these guys. He's pulling back the curtain on their hearts to show them how false they really are. Again, outwardly, man, they got all the oaths, right? They've got all the, 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 the laws and the commandments seemingly down. But inwardly, when Jesus exposes the truth, man, they begin to repress it. And for some of you today, as you hear the word of God and that you need rescuing and that you're actually not an honest man or an honest woman and you're actually guilty in the presence of God, for some of you, that makes you just want to close the book and say, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. But for others, for others this morning... There is such mercy and there is grace and you desire to cry out, my Lord and my God, save me from my sin, Lord. Rescue me. You feel that dirtiness in your life. Listen, beloved, we don't like telling the truth. Why? Because it exposes us, doesn't it? But then you think about the cross. And as you think about the cross... Jesus was exposed, I mean, literally, physically, naked on the cross in front of his mother, his mama's there. His closest friends, other ladies. Why? He's shamed and exposed as one who's living perfectly the truth. Who's not sought an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Why? That you and I might be clothed in his righteousness. Do you see it? He's stripped naked. That you could be clothed in his perfect righteousness, his forgiveness, his grace. This, this, is, this is the gospel. This is good news. All of your lies forgiven. 
All of your revenge and hatred in your heart forgiven. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the beauty of it. Why Jesus is there. Listen, then this is the reminder to us as Jesus began in Matthew 5. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. You wonder, how could I do that? Because you've received mercy. Do you see it? Blessed Paul, or Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. You say, how could I ever be a child of God? How could I actually be a peacemaker? Because Christ came and made peace with you through the cross. He made peace with the Father by his own life. This dying in our place reminds me of a story. Um, for the first about 10 years of my life, uh, my middle brother and I shared a room. And you can imagine what it was like for two boys to share a room, right? And maybe you've done that at some point in your life. And it, it kind of just created some more tension at times. And we I'll never forget, we had pretty epic uh, disagreement, argument, fight, let's call it what it is, right? Um, one night, and so uh, we kind of split up after that, and I went to the, the, the bathroom, and I was going to brush my teeth, and in the midst of going to the bathroom to brush my teeth, my brother goes to the kitchen and gets a pitcher full of ice and ice water and fills it up, and he comes to my bed and just literally, I hope you're watching this, I am, anyway, and he throws it all over my bed, and he pulls the sheets and the covers back over it, slips in under his cover like little red riding hood, like he's all innocent. I come back in, right, kind of probably give him a dirty look, and um, I pull the sheets back, and I jump in underneath that bed, and I let out this big scream, right? Let's be honest, I was uh, like an eight-year-old boy, so it's probably more like a high-pitched squeal, right? But nonetheless, my mom comes in, and, and you can imagine what a mom might do in that moment. It's kind of a little bit of an eye for an eye, tooth for the tooth, and so she says to my brother who's over there dying laughing, well, guess what? You think it's so funny. You come sleep in his bed, and Blake will sleep in yours, and, and now listen, I've got to be honest because my boys are listening and they know about Uncle Adam. He says still to this day that was the best sleep he's ever had on a waterbed. But the reality is, listen, listen, the reality is that night for him was rough. Why do I share that? It's, it's not a perfect analogy, but listen, here's the truth. You, me, all of us, we've made a mess of our spiritual beds, haven't we? I mean, there's lies. There's revenge. There's immorality. There's gossip. I mean, we could just make the list go on and on. And here's the amazing thing about God. Instead of sending you and me to say, you made your bed, Blake, now lie in it. He says, Jesus, my son, you go to Blake's bed. You lie in the midst of his filth and shame. You take it upon you on the cross. It's this unbelievable moment of someone suffering. For your sin, dying because of you, what you have done. It's this beautiful moment of God allowing His Son to die. And the Son saying, I will take your ice cold bed of sin that you have made. And I will lie in it willingly. I don't give my life. No one takes it from me. I give it willingly of my own accord. You see that? It was the Son's perfect pleasure and will to submit to the Father and die in your place. Hallelujah. Listen, the title of this sermon was one thing that will make you honest. It was a little bit misleading, not intentionally maybe, but the reality is it was. There's nothing one thing that you can do. It's always about what he's done. It's, it's the fact that he died in your place, beloved. And it's you. 
repenting, saying, my way of life is wrong. God, I no longer want to continue with these lies. I no longer want to be this revengeful person, God. And I don't know what it is for you, your struggles, but you would just come and say, God, cleanse me. God, forgive me. God, change me. God, place that new heart in me. God, I want to live out the truth of your word, but I know I can't do it on my own. And listen, God not only forgives you and cleanses you, he sends his spirit to indwell you. And it's the presence of God. It's God's presence in you and with you that now empowers you and I, beloved, to be men and women of integrity. It's the presence of God. Right? And, And that brings us to this final point here. Kingdom people have integrity because of God's continual presence. Kingdom people have integrity because of God's continual presence. Listen to what he says. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or the evil one. In Psalm 16 and 8, David says this statement. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. What a moment that David shares this truth. For David, what kept him from shaking? It's the fact that God was present in his life. For some of you, you're shaking over this coronavirus. Your fear is paralyzing you. And listen, it's serious. I know that. But I want you to realize you are not alone. The power and the presence of the Most High God is there. And David says, I've set the Lord before me. Because He is in my right hand, I will not be shaken. For those of you, listen, because God is there with you. It's time for you to be honest and start telling the truth. This may mean that you need to tell an employer about something you've been stealing or doing. doesn't mean, listen, this is not a magic wand to say, well, if you say yes or no, be truthful, you won't lose your job. You might very well. But listen, as a believer who has integrity, you need to be honest with your employer. You need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. As you're teleworking in the coming weeks or possibly months, you need to remind yourself the words of Colossians. Work at your heart, work at all things with as, as all, work at all things with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Why? Because listen, guys, God's present with you in your house just the same as he is with your job with the boss standing right there. Let's set an example as believers. To work with integrity and honesty and still put a full good day work in, even in our homes. Listen, guys, um, for some of you, this teenagers, it just means maybe you need to come and just be honest with your parents. Listen, why? Because the truth is your yes hasn't been yes and your no hasn't been no. And you need to own up. It may cost you. It may cost some discipline in your life. It may bring some of that about. But I want to encourage you and let you know today. Imagine what it might be five years down from the road for your parents to hear you say yes or no on something and they actually believe you. What a moment that would be. Moms and dads, what about you as you hold kiddos accountable, teachers, as you, others of you in leadership, as you hold younger people or other people accountable? Think about how it might transform their life. I want to encourage you in that. Listen to what Jesus said again back there in verse 39. But if anyone slaps you on that right cheek, turn to him the other also. What do you do with your spouse says something hurtful? Or maybe right now for some of you, right, you're in the midst of maybe a boss or a coworker that's maybe said something or made a decision that makes you feel like you don't matter, you're not important to the company, and you just feel like resentful, and you're like, I'm going to get even. I know what I'll do. Beloved. Someone slaps you, says an insult, or treats you as less. You don't have to get even. You can trust all judgment to the Father, but you can turn the other cheek and forgive them. 
Why? Because as forgiven people, we forgive others. As we as people in need of grace, show grace. We who have received God's mercy, show mercy. Look, Jesus says further to you, verse 41, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Listen, Roman soldiers, there's, they had the, the ability to tell the folks that, listen, you're going to carry my belongings for up to a Roman mile. And Jesus says, listen, I don't want you just to go one mile with them. You'd be willing to go two. And remember, I mean, the Romans were hated enemies. They were oppressors, the Jewish people. So this isn't like just somebody easy you like. This isn't like your neighbor that you like. This might be for some of you a neighbor that really rubs you the wrong way. But the reality is, listen, this time right now, some of you, listen, you may not be much in favor of decisions that have been made by government and other officials But in the midst of this, the government's asking you to go one mile. Would you, listen, as a believer, be willing to go two miles when it comes to social distancing? Some of you, listen, you walk into a a store somewhere and they see the little boxes where you're supposed to stand and you're like, I'm not going to stand there. It's not Andy at five. He's not with me. You're right. Governor Bashir's not there. But I tell you who is with you, beloved. Almighty God. So you, the government's asking you to go one mile. Unless it violates the word of God, then believer, let's go two miles. Let's set an example of when it may be just practical stuff like washing your hands. Listen, you may again think nobody's going to notice, but guys, God is present. Some of you, how could you go an extra mile when it comes to neighbors or the elderly or shut-ins around you? How might you serve them or minister to them? I compel us believers, let's not just go one mile, let's go two miles. Last, this is what Jesus says. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So somebody's going to beg. Maybe somebody's asking to borrow something, maybe especially during this time. Jesus says we're not to refuse that. We're to give. Listen, that is to be the typical response. But there are moments maybe when I would just say, hey, listen, there, there could be some exceptions, right? So I want to, some of you may hear this and think, well, I just need to give every single time. I'll give you just maybe a couple examples of maybe moments when you wouldn't. Some of you got aging parents that are dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's, grandparents you're caring for. For example, I was... I was the power of attorney for my grandfather. And um, I had to make a decision at one point to take his keys away, to not be able to drive. And I'm telling you, to say it caused tension is an understatement, okay? Both of his sons were dead. His wife passed. His other wife was struggling with dementia as well. And it was just me. And it created such tension between my grandfather and I that literally he changed the power of attorney. So I, but listen, I I made a decision because I thought it was the best. And there were moments when he said, Blake, just give me my keys. So I want you to hear this. I know some of you are in the midst of really hard stuff. And there's moments when you hear verses like this and you think, well, maybe I should just give in. I'm going to caution you. There's moments when wisdom would say, this may not be the wisest thing in this moment. Typically, most often, yes, I'm giving, right? Others of you, listen, you deal with somebody, maybe that's an alcoholic, or maybe you got somebody that's dealing with some serious stuff like suicide. You need to go in and take pills away or possibly something that might do harm. They may threaten you or say, you better give that back. Or they're asking you, begging you, please don't take that. Don't flush that down the toilet. Listen, beloved, we're doing those things because we ultimately love them. So as you hear this, listen, there's always a great measure of wisdom and other scriptures that come alongside this. I compel you today as we come to a close. We're going to sing a song this morning that um, was a song that was just really my anthem back in 2004. I was finishing my senior year at the University of Kentucky, and this song had just come out a little bit ago, and it's entitled, You Are My King. And it goes like this, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, 
would die for me. And it just, I'll never forget, man, it just gripped my heart. For some of you, listen today, you, you realized you're wrecked, you're undone. Would you hear as, as our praise team comes and they begin to sing and just lead us in this time? Would it just be your anthem of praise? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? What a beautiful moment. I compel you to respond to the gospel today. Repent and believe, confessing your sins to Christ, receiving that forgiveness, that grace and the mercies. Listen, I compel you today, do not resist the Spirit of God. Respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray you will, believer. I pray that you will respond and you will follow wherever he leads and you'll go. Even the extra mile. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. God, I praise you for your word. I pray now, God, as we sing these words, amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? A king would die. Thank you, Father, for laying in my bed of filth and sin and willingly taking it upon yourself. Father, I thank you not only for forgiveness and redemption, but Lord, I give you praise for the indwelling spirit that by the power of the spirit of God, we can live and obey these words. Father, give us more grace and more mercy. And Father, increase our faith that we will be faithful brothers and sisters for the glory of our Father and great King Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.